Okay, so uh, I guess a place to start is to say good evening and happy Labor Day. Look, tonight we're going to return to our roots. We are not going to focus on a singular chapter tonight. We will be walking through chapters 14, 15, and 16. What I mean by returning to our roots is our emphasis tonight is going to be on the historical truths contained in these chapters, and our minor focus will be on illustrating the practical applications for you. We've decided to take these three chapters as a whole because we want to be faithful to Ezra's perspective of the whole life of Asa, rather than the peculiar victories or defeats that Asa experienced. In doing this, we have every confidence that the Holy Spirit will aid you in making your own practical applications to your life. And it spares us of having to have the hammer-like pounding of the last few weeks that uh, have characterized our our, our foundations or Monday night teachings. Uh, I think the place to begin is by putting these events in their history, we have a few visual aids, and then we'll read the text, and then we'll expound on the text. Does that sound okay? All right. Miranda gave me the thumbs up. Lynette is saying, let's go. So we want to show you a slide. We have just a few simple things we want to gain from it as we progress. See at the top of the slide, there's Rephoboam, Abijah. We've now reached Asa, which is the subject matter of this evening. Most scholars believe that Asa reigned in the time period of around 910 to 873. Sorry, that whole BCE thing is getting me tonight. Give or take a few years. You're going to see in the actual text that the Bible recounts that he reigned 41 years. Now, we have things like co-regency, where a son and a father rule for a time frame. There's a lot of issues with nailing that down specifically. But this gives you a general idea of when in history Asa was. Asa is the third king in the southern kingdom. Rehoboam, son of Solomon. Abijah, son of Rehoboam. And now Asa, son of Abijah. Each of these guys are from the house of David, a singular dynasty. Now, the northern kingdom has had many kings during this period. And they're from different lines and dynasties. Justin's going to tell us about that with the next slide. So what you see in the red represents the kingship of Asa. That is his timeline. He's the king of Judah that we're going to be studying tonight. What you see circled in blue represents the seven kings that ruled the north during the time of Asa's reign. Now, if you look at that, what's interesting is that Jeroboam was in the last months of his reign when Asa came into power. Asa came into power, you're several generations in, and Jeroboam the first is still reigning, although it's a, a last few months of his life, he's still reigning at the very end when Asa comes into power. Now, if you look at the very end of that spectrum, on the, the bottom portion, those northern kings, the very last king in that cir- circled portion is Ahab. Jeroboam was on the throne when Asa came into power, and Asa reigned such a long time that he was ending his reign when Ahab was beginning his reign. That's a lot of kings in between that time, right? Yes. He was the 
bridge, if you will, between two very bad kings in the northern kingdom. That's pretty interesting. And as we study tonight, you're going to see that the northern kingdom stays very bad. And there's a brief reprise in the southern kingdom. Somebody say tonight. Tonight. Tonight, the northern king is going to be called Basha. This guy is in the center here. We're covering the events of Asa's reign. But the antagonist, if you will, the guy in the northern kingdom that you're going to be reading about is right here in the middle between Jeroboam and Ahab. None of these guys are good, but the majority of what we are covering will come right there from that highlighted section. All right. You guys beginning to see it? Yeah. Yeah. I know these are not English names. We are working ourselves to keep them straight and garner everything that the text has for us. You guys want to pray? And then maybe we'll have Miss Jennifer read all three chapters in a row for us. Any man of God stirred up to pray tonight? Father God, we thank you that you have brought us here tonight. Are you ready for our first homiletic for the evening? Yes. We asked if there was an anointed man who wanted to stand up and pray. Two, two anointed men stood up. But only one spoke up. The other only heard half of the command. Tonight we want you to hear everything that we have to say. So we're going to stick to the historical application. And we're going to trust that you will be listening for what the Spirit says to you. Amen? Miss Jennifer, are you ready to go? Yes. All right, we're going to read chapter 14. Somebody say 14. 14. Chapter 15. 15. Say 15. 15. 16. 16. Oh, tonight is a threefer. Lord, our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. 
Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gera. Such a great number of Cushites <laughs> fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried a, off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gera, for the terror of the Lord had fallen upon them. They plundered all of these villages since there was much booty there. They also attacked the camps of herdsmen and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels. They, then they returned to Jerusalem. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are, when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another. Because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your walk will be rewarded. When Asa heard these words and prophecies of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the homeland of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he assembled all of Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon, who had settled among them, for a large number had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. At that time, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 heads of cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats for the plunder they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. All who could not, all who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. They took an oath to the Lord, loud with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly. And he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. King Asa also deposed his grandmother, Maka, from her position as queen mother yeah. because she had made a repulsive Asherah pole. Oh, Asa up. cut the poles down, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Amen. Although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all of his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and articles that he and his father had dedicated. There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, ba Baash, king of Israel, went up against Judah. Baash, sorry. And king of Israel went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Asa then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple 
and of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, and there was war between, and there was between my father and you. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Bosh, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maim, and all the, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Bosh heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Bosh had been using. With, with them he built Gibeah and Mizpah. At that time, Haniah the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you relied on King Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of, Asa reign, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut out for himself in the city of David. They laid, on, they laid him on a bier covered with spices and various blended perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. All right. Who in here has been serving the Lord 10 years? Raise a hand. Keep your hand up. All right. Now, if among those with their hands up, you've been serving the Lord 25 years, keep your hands up. Anybody 35 years? This man's reign is 41 years. And 35 of them are good. And he is still an eternal embarrassment. We're going to pick up in verse 1. Yeah, if that didn't get our attention, I don't know what possibly could. And Abijah rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. And in his days, the country was at peace for 10 years. Come on. This peace was likely due... To the battle we discussed last week. His daddy, Abijah, had made serious efforts to limit the ability of the northern tribes by weakening their capacity to make war. There was this statement last week that Jeroboam never recovered. His, his military might and prowess was broken by Abijah. Well, here Asa inherits that situation. Asa begins his reign very well. And for that reason, he is usually highly regarded 
as a king of Judah. Yeah. I personally have preached about him in a positive fashion many, many times and continue, will continue to do so. Having said that, tonight we're going to look at three major sections of his life. You might want to pencil these down. His first ten years, first ten, those are marked by peace without war and revival. The second period in his life, the next 25 years, are marked by only victory in war, revival, and expansion. Somebody said that's pretty good. That's pretty good. The third period we're going to cover tonight are his last six years. They're an eternal embarrassment, and they're recorded in the Word of God forever. And they're a warning for every man or woman in this room. Now let's go to verse 2. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the asher poles. So saints, Asa doing what was good in the Lord's eyes is described here. Asa used the time period of peace to cultivate for revival. The 2011 NIV uses four terms to describe what Asa was removing. The first one is foreign altars. The second was high places. The third is sacred stones in the 2011. Now, I know when you hear the word sacred stone, you immediately have an image come to mind that just explains it all for you. The LXX calls it a steli. Some people will pronounce that stella. NASB says sacred pillars. The idea is it's something that is made of masonry products and is intended to be large and imposing. And as we find out, it's going to represent specific deities. The last thing was asherapoles. LXX calls it groves. Most translations say asherim, or shrines. So that we don't have to go into an in-depth word study on these things, it appears that Judah had altars to foreign gods as well as places of compromised worship of Yahweh. So they had foreign gods, they had idols, and they had places that were supposedly worshiping Yahweh, but they were compromised. The most defensive items mentioned are the sacred stones in combination with the Asherah poles. This is because the stone items tended to represent Baal. See New Unger's Dictionary of the Bible. And the wooden items, the groves, tended to represent Asherah. See Erdemans about that subject. What is even more astounding is that Asherah is supposed as having cohabitated with a god named El and producing 70 lesser gods, one of whom was Baal. In the Ugaritic traditions, according to Edelman's Dictionary of the Bible. We have a slide that we want to show you. So just to show that this comes from a scholarly work, this is from Erdman's Dictionary of the Bible. It says Asherah. There is a text called the Ras Shamra text. It's a Ugaritic text. And it portrays her as the spouse of the supreme god El, which is a Canaanite deity, sometimes called Elat or goddess. And she was the mother of 70 children, wow. 70 foreign gods, 70 lesser gods, 70 archons. Yeah. One of those children was Baal. And it was proposed that uh, Baal was a consort to Asherah, his mother. She is also called Lady Asherah of the Sea. In the Baal cycle, she intercedes with El 
to provide a palace for Baal. Asherah was the mother goddess to be distinguished from Astarte, the Canaanite fertility goddess. Centers of worship were located throughout the ancient Near East, particularly Phoenicia, and manifestations of Asherah worship have been identified in Egyptian, Hittite, Philistine, and Arabic texts. Look, I'm going to give you kind of a background to this because it's easy to see that these kind of things should not be there, correct? Correct. This is the southern kingdom of Judah. I mean, we're not very far from the kingdom of David and Solomon. But we want to give you a biblical background to where what God feels about these things. Somebody uh, read Exodus 34, 11 through 14. Who's got that? I got it. Exodus 34, 11 through 14. Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. Do what? Yeah, but how did the sentence start? That's almost like the word implies that it would be a constant temptation. That you would have to, I don't know, be careful not to do this. Keep going, Rob. Be careful not to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or they will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their asteroids. Do not worship any other god, the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Yeah. So the this was the original mandate from the God of Israel upon entering the land. He doesn't like these masonry monuments, these stella. They're almost always associated with Bell, and sometimes they're in the shape of a male organ. He didn't like them. The reason that Asherah is a wooden pole and often translated groves is she's the female deity, and so you had these two symbols next to each other. In one sense, they're mother and son, and in another sense, they're uh, much more than that, like a freaky-deaky mother and son. And God did not want that in his land. So he didn't say clean them up. He didn't say obscure them. He didn't say build something around them. He wanted them smashed. He wanted them torn down. Asa's getting back to the original command from the Lord. He's dealing with the enemies of God, and he's doing it in his own house first. Clearing our own house is always the roadway to revival. You will never see change in the world that is not change in you first. That will never happen. The light that shines the furthest is the light that shines the brightest at home. If you want to change the world, where do you start? Your own home. Let's go to verse 4. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers. All right, now, to obey his laws and commands. That's decent. But the Alex Act says to do the law. Come on now. Do it. Put very plainly, when we hear other terminology, our minds and our sinful natures, that if we're honest are weasels, find ways to exempt ourselves from the actual action of the law. Translations like NASB say observe, ESV, keep. Each of these could be misconstrued into an inactive form of faith. But the text quite literally says, and to do his laws. Saints, there's a message for us in that. I'm going to read to you James 1, 
verse 25. You can follow along on the screen. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. It is freedom to do the law. It is blessing to do the law. It is the seeds of revival to do the law. Too much of our preaching and teaching is about observing. It's about keeping as if you already have it together somehow and you just need to keep it rolling. Obeying sounds like a penalty or a punishment. That's not the kind of relationship that the law espouses. Observing sounds passive. And as we already mentioned, keeping sounds like you've already possessed it. There's nothing more required. Look, we need to move towards revival that is based upon doing the law. We're going to see the very best times in Asa's life, and we're going to see the very worst times in his life. But the times that he did or was doing the law moved him and his people towards revival. Brother Linton, pick up in verse 5 and read on down through 8 for us. Hey, let's reclaim something. Do you all like to do that? Yeah. Reclaim it. I'm going to say that Nike does not own the phrase, just do it. Sincere, spirit-filled Christians own the phrase, just do it. How do you show that you are spiritual? It's not by what you've heard. It's not by what you know. It's not by the vision that you say that you had. It is by what you do. This house was built on an axiom that says, perform out there what you have practiced in here. We are Christians because of what we do. We are not Christians because of what we don't do. You could be a Mormon and not do many things. You could be a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim and not do many things. Sincere religion is based on what you actually do. Amen? Amen. Let's go to verse 5. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town of Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up fortified cities of Judah since the Lord, was, Lord, the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to, he said to Judah, and, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah equipped with large shields and spears with 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and bows. All these were brave fighting men. Now, these are the first 10 years of Asa's reign. And they were cultivating revival by removing idolatry. He's removing idolatry in the people, and while removing idolatry, he's strengthening the people. He's building walls around towns. He's fortifying. This is what happens in a righteous time of revival when it seems like there's peace and we're not fighting as much. We have to strengthen and build walls around our towns because we know that that peace doesn't last forever. In fact, peace can only be attained through warfare. We know that the warfare is coming. So while we are in a system of being revived by the Lord, we are working to build up the walls and defenses of our homes. We are building up those defenses. We're now going to see Asa tested in an extraordinary way, though. Asa's army is going to be extremely outnumbered, but the quality of his men have been cultivated by revival. Did you notice that there were 
300,000, 280,000, and they all fought differently. Yes. But one thing that characterized those men is that they were all brave fighting men. Come on. This is what cultivation in revival produces. When you're being revived by the Lord, it produces a bravery and a will to go out and fight the Lord's battles. There's a reason for that. When you are compromised and you know it, you do not have confidence to represent moral authority. That destroys Christian ministries. It destroys Christian households. You end up being this pansy-waisted pacifist that is like, well, who am I to tell anybody this? Well, it was never about you. It was about what God says. But since you're not obeying what God says, you have a hard time addressing someone else who is not obeying what God says. If you lack courage, if on your navel card you have fear and insecurity, then I'm going to promise you that it is rooted in idolatry in your house. Who would like to become a brave and a fighting man? Destroy idols in your life and confidence of God will come to you. That's how that works. It will well up in you. You will find yourself relying on him because you have no idols to rely on instead. Let's go with verse 9. Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army and with 300 chariots and came as far as Marashat. Asa went to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah, near Marashat. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. I love this. To be honest, this has been circled in every Bible I've had since my first Little King Jimmy Bible. This is one of the most beautiful prayers in all of the Bible. The only one that I think surpasses it was Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, and we'll get to that in a few nights. Come on. It's worth noting that this kind of faith can be cultivated by the removal of idolatry. He can stand there and say, we're relying on you because he's destroyed everything else he would rely on. Yeah. Yeah. He can stand there and say... Don't let these people prevail against you because he represents the Lord and he doesn't represent anything else. It's not a wish. It's not a maybe. He's literally lost his life that he might find it in the will of God. There are no competitors. That kind of confidence, man, it's priceless. The kind of dependence on God that is displayed in this prayer allows you to say in real confidence, I rely on you. Do not let man prevail against you. That's a good word. You don't see two sides of the story. You don't sit and think, but what if God told Zerah this? You don't sit and think, but what if the Lord is trying to punish me? Maybe it's because I did something wrong. Getting rid of idolatry is putting your confidence on spiritual steroids. You want to know that God is for you? It starts by knowing that you are for him. Amen. <laughs> that is, but I promised the historical narrative tonight. So let's go to verse 12. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. 
The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. Real quick, Judah's going to tell you about this, but I should have mentioned a textual note. Did anybody's Bible say anything other than vast army up in verse 9? Yeah, what did it say? Somebody call it out. Some of them even say million man army. It all has to do with how you interpret a particular phrase. Let's just say it is quite vast, okay? Now, picking back up after verse 12, there are other textual things to note here. I'm going to reread it, verse 13. Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. Saints, the removal of idolatry allows you to correctly handle the word of God, to correctly interact with the spirit of holiness and have confidence that you can stand for the Lord and that you are his force, that you are the army of the living God. Amen. Saints, in the context of the passage, we just covered Asa and his army and the Lord and his force. The original language makes it possible to read this as the Lord and his miraculous or forceful army. The idea is whether angels, men, miracles, or all of the above are in view. Asa's men are positioned in God's will. They're positioned as God's agents and his ambassadors upon the earth. And it doesn't matter whether one of his soldiers is striking someone down or an angel from heaven is. God and his armies are standing with the man who has removed idolatry and has confidence in his standing with Christ. Amen. Hey, let's put that in a preachy way. Is that all right? When you fight for heaven, then heaven fights for you, and there's no distinction between the two armies. You're on the same team. Do you want that kind of confidence? Yes. Oh, we want that kind of confidence. Now, in our day and time, we are sitting in interesting days. We are surrounded by churches, surrounded by ministers, surrounded by lost men and pagans that proclaimed their masculinity and their strength until a flu hit us. And now we are hiding and quivering because of a common cold. Look, this kind of spiritual fortitude is sorely lacking in our sin-soaked Samaritan churches and religion of the day. No matter what we profess, you can tell whether or not the armies of the Lord are with the man. You know why? Because he wins and he removes idolatry. If you have idolatry and it is present in your life, you should not be shocked when you're not winning. Look, the Lord brought us to destroy the devil's work in the image of his son, and we're going to accomplish that tonight. Asa's prayers and actions are really worth meditating on because we, us, here in our day and time, we need revival. We need it here. We need it now. We need it for our families and for our generation. Brother Linton, help us out with verse 14. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen upon them. They plundered all these villages, since there was much booty there. Wow. My God, they sent the single men to war. (laughs) Look, the 1984 NIV says much booty. The 2011 says large amounts of plunder. The NASB handles it similarly. The ESV as well. The Young's literal translation says abundant spoil. This is why many of us find it fun to read in the 1984 NIV. I think you should too. Let's go on to verse 15. They also attacked the camps of the herdsmen and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels. 
Then they return to Jerusalem. Pick up in uh, 15.1, and let's read that narrative down to verse 7. Hey, real quick before we have a break in the text. Do you guys remember we had 10 years that we're in peace? Yes. We are no longer at peace. We're in another phase of his life that's being tested. As Brother Linton reads, so let's see how this progresses for him. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Obed. Obed. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Woo! When is the Lord with you? When you are with him. I think that's been lost in uh, theology these days. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Another way to say it would be, if you are with the Lord, then the Lord is with you. I want you to understand this echoes all the way back to Joshua. Are you for me or for my enemies? How could you be so silly? I came that the Lord's will might be done. Okay? God is not your personal genie. He does not carry out your commands. You are to be his servant. And he is very much with you when you are serving his purposes. If you are not serving his purposes, you should not think, should not proclaim, and should not feel comforted by consoling yourself with the thought that he's with you. He is most certainly not with the man who is not with him. In a day and time when everybody seems to say that God is with them, every football team, (laughs) every athletic event, it might simply be a vain consolation. If Deuteronomy 29 is to be trusted, and I kind of think it is, you cannot invoke on yourself the blessing of a covenant while you persist in going your own way and think that it will be good for you, God will never forgive you for doing that. Hey, let's keep going. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Wow. That kind of wipes out a a whole branch of theology. From maybe Calvin forward, this singular sentence ought to shape everybody's thoughts. Is it possible to forsake God and have him forsake you? Yes. Yes. And he sent a prophet to say it to a king who was doing very well. Keep going, brother. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. And he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about. For all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another, and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong, and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Wow. Like so many of the prophetic words that are given, this word is both an encouragement about how Asa is walking, and it's a warning, not to forget the reason for which he's enjoying success. Yeah. You have to read it. Since you've read the rest of the story, you know that his next interaction with the prophet is not as pleasant. It doesn't go as well because although he received this word very well, he didn't apply this word very well. And that shows up at the end of his life. Be very careful how quickly you smile and say, I agree with you. I agree with you, Pastor. I agree with you, Elder. Because agreement is not the goal. Application is the goal. 
and you don't want to be guilty of both having been told it and said you agree with it and then not doing it, which happens all of the time. It's hard to know exactly what period Azariah is referring to when he uses that phrase, without a priest to teach and without the law. But we want to give you some suggestions. Is that all right? There's a Hebrew word that's in view. Yara. I think we have it on the Strong's. Figuratively to point out, as if aiming by a finger, to teach. It's not so much that there was no priest. It's there was no teaching priest. There was no priest with a prophetic finger. The cognate in the LXX is on our next slide. A priest who shows plainly, who teaches, who warns. It's not that there was no priest. It's that there was no priest during the time period Azariah is referring to who did what a priest is supposed to do. Wow. For that reason, the NASB and the ESB They translate this phrase without a teaching priest. Oh, there were a lot of priests, but they weren't doing what they're supposed to do, pointing out sin, clearly illustrating with a prophetic voice the word and the spirit. When I thought about it like that, I couldn't help but think this must refer to the time period of the judges. We're in the third king of the southern kingdom, And prior to the southern kingdom's establishment under David, they were in the time period of the judges. There were priests in the time period of the judges, but they don't do anything. They received the offering. Their sons sleep with... It was exactly like the priesthood of our time. See, when you don't have a priest doing what priests are supposed to do, Well, the way Azariah said it is city rises up against city, nation against nation. It's almost like what Jesus said prophetically about the end times. But it also reminds me very much of the beginning of the book. When the world was tohu vavohu, without the law, want, waste, destruction, until the light of God's word brought order. The reason that we preach and teach the way that we do is to bring order to lives. To create the space by which you can prosper. Your job tonight will be not to forget the reason that you have prospered. (laughs) Because that's exactly what Asa is going to do. All periods of history that are marked by failure of the priesthood, including our time, end up resulting in oppression of people and captivity. Anytime the priests don't do what the priests should do, the result from that is captivity and oppression. Yeah. Is that pretty clear? Yeah. Yes. So saints, as you turn to Lamentations 2, 14, we're going to read it together. Why don't you consider another note about the prophecy that was given to Asa. The prophecy that Asa responded well to, at least for a time. During the time period of the judges, the law was still around. The priests were still around. God was on the throne, as many are fond of saying, just as much as he was during the time frame of David. The Spirit of God was even hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation while it was tofu. And yet, the Lord was not there with them. 
in the way that we've seen demonstrated when men were wholehearted after him. The warning that is being given is about a kind of self-deception that happens among men. Listen, if we counted how long some of you have been born again based upon your statement of when you first interacted with the Lord, saints, then I would have been born again for 23 years now from the moment I came out of my mother's womb. The reality is that time frame in your life was marked by the judges. It was marked by Tohu and Vavohu. The fact that God was around you doesn't mean that you were heeding the prophet's warning. Heeding the prophet's warning is when we recognize our state that he must be our only sovereign in life and we hear the words of the priests. Now listen, it's easy for us to place it upon the pulpits and we should. But let me ask you, do pulpits arise preaching what men want to hear? Saints, they're preaching the message that men's ears are longing for. They want to hear it. Something inside of our hearts is crying out as a nation for a lesser standard in a judges-like state where every man is allowed to do what is right in his own eyes. Listen, the areas that you find that you do not have clear, plain instruction that is eliminating idolatry, it's because you wish to do what is right in your own eyes. But we have this written word as an example in the example of men's lives ahead of us so that we might recognize it. And captivity will not befall the man that has spent decades laboring. Saints, we want you to finish strong. That's really what we're getting at tonight. You in Lamentations 2, verse 14? The visions of your prophets were false and worthless. Man, 2020, it's going to be a year of clarity and vision, baby. They did not expose your sin. To ward off your captivity. That's not God's best for you. Everybody in this room say thank you pastors. Thank you pastors. We have pastors that are exposing sin. For the purpose of warding off captivity in this room. The oracles that they gave. They gave you oracles that were false and misleading. Saints we're about to enter into the center. The middle of. The second period. In Asa's life. Asa's life is going to be covered or summarized in a 25-year time frame. It began with the big Cushite text. Whether it's thousands upon thousands, it's a vast army or it's a million, the odds were overwhelming and the man stood in a great contest of faith. He wanted to win. But we see what happens in his heart over time. Look, we want to stop and take a minute inside of our own minds to be thankful for the times that you had a priest or a prophet in your own life that helped you expose sin, that helped you ward off captivity, because we have men that do. Listen, all too often we let those things brush aside, and in a month you forgot that somebody rescued your very soul from the sin that was eating you alive. We must remember what God has given us and cultivated in this house. We have words that are not worthless. We have pastors, priests, and prophets that are not worthless. How dare we contemplate other ideas, other lords, and other pastures that are worthless. And when we recognize the preciousness of what we have, it's not condemning. It's empowering. It's inspiring. It causes you to want revival and be willing to destroy idols to get it. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If we forsake him, he will forsake us. These are lessons that Asa is going to forget in the coming years. Now, Asa wasn't a man that got born again when he was 20 after 20 years of wanton idolatry. He was a man who descended from David. From the moment that he took the throne, he was walking in righteousness. And yet, we see that he is going to forget these lessons. 
Man, all too often I've seen men that got born again at 25 or 30, and by the time they're 40, they've already forgotten the Lord. Yeah. Let's be honest. You only had a good 10 to 15 years in there at best. Out of a man's lifespan, that's all that you got. The words of Ezekiel are ringing in my ear. The righteous man who turns from his righteousness, it will not be remembered. As surely as we have a promise of redemption and turning from wickedness, both sides of that warning stand. We want you to remember these lessons and never forget them. Amen? Amen. As we pick back up in verse 7, to get our time period straight, we had 10 years without war, and that meant that there was revival everywhere. They're starting to remove idols. We are now in that second time period that is 25 years long, and there are some wars, but they're winning them. And they're removing idols, experiencing revival, and expanding the kingdom. You would never think it, but you're more vulnerable when you are winning wars than when you are not facing them. I have learned this time and time again. When you're fighting to get the baby that you want, you do great because you really need the Lord. When you get the baby that you wanted, you become uncorrectable and heinous. (laughs) When you are fighting to get a home, a job, and even the hope of restoration. You're, you're pliable. You, you, anything the Lord wants, you'll do. When you get all of those things, suddenly you feel the arbitrator, you're the arbitrator of your own destiny. It happens again and again and again. Asa stands as a warning like I've never seen in any other place because he had 35 really good years and tanked it. In six years. In fact, while we were talking about this, I couldn't help but reflect on something. I prophesied to a man that extraordinarily gifted, blessed so many of us. In fact, there might not be a ministry here were it not for his influence in my life. Said, you are Asa. You've begun well. And you're going to finish with disease in your feet because you are relying on things other than the Lord. Everybody thought that that was harsh. I've come to believe it was not nearly harsh enough because when I look back at the man's life, he never had as many good years as Asa had. It's an insult to Asa. If you walk well for 12 years and then you screw it up for 35, you're not in the same camp as Asa. But nevertheless, we have better things in mind for you. Verse 7. Verse 7. Yes. Now the prophet is referring to a time that was bad in Israel. There was no teaching priest. But the last thing he leaves with Asa in this prophecy is the answer to everything that we just heard Eric and Judah mention. Wouldn't you like to know the answer? Yes. Wouldn't you like to know the key in being able to serve the Lord for 35 years and then not screwing it up in the last six? Yes, yes I would. Well, you want to know what? what? The answer is so simple that many of us overlook it, and in fact, we miss it every day. The answer is, for you, be strong and do not give up. Yeah. Do not give up. Don't give up an inch of ground. Don't give up when you're afraid. Don't give up when you're tempted. Don't give up when you're embarrassed. Don't give up when the odds are against you. Don't give up at all. And then when it looks like you failed, don't give up. 
Look, if you don't want to give up, and it's fair to say, if you're sitting here, you do not want to give up, right? Then you're going to have to remember how you got where you are. Okay? That's, that's everything. People that say, I, I'll never give up. You certainly will if you forget what God has done for you to put you right where you're at. There are a few basic tenets of our walk here. Do not give up on this house. Do not give up on these pastors. Do not give up on unity with your brothers. Do not give up, and that will save you. You'll have to indulge me for a second, but I, you know I love history, right? Uh -huh. I have to reflect on the words of Winston Churchill. They asked him, how did you as a small island survive in the onslaught of the Nazi German forces? And he replied with, never, ever give up. He was able to win just by not giving up. He didn't have more resources. He just didn't give up. And his work was rewarded. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Say stand firm. Stand, stand firm. firm. Let anything that seems like a big deal move you. Let something that's embarrassing and you don't want to show it in public move you. Let nothing move you. Always, say always. always, always, give yourselves halfway, no. fully to the work of the Lord, because you know, say because. because, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in anything else in your life is vain. Read Ecclesiastes, it's meaningless. But your labor in the Lord is not in vain. How much labor do you want to have that is not in vain? How much do you want to have at the end of your life that the Lord points to and he says, you will be rewarded for it? Every ounce of labor, labor that you put into the work of the Lord, it's not in vain. If you give up, if you don't stand firm, if you let things move you, if you give less of yourselves to the Lord, well, do we even have to say it? You know the answer already. Let's just commit ourselves to do better than that tonight. Let's commit ourselves to Amen. do Amen. what the word says. Yeah. We have reason for confidence in this house. Yes. We really do. Yeah. Say it. I have Amen. reason for confidence. I have reason for confidence. Now, the very passage that we've just read is Paul reminding a spirit-filled church that is blessed with every heavenly gift of the true gospel that saved them. And after the reminder, he says, don't give up. Because if you don't remember, you will give up. So the key to not giving up is remembering. Let's pick up in verse 8. When Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He, repelled the, he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. I, I just got paused for a minute. <laughs> yeah. got the succession of time that has elapsed since Solomon, and we're already having to repair the temple because it's in disarray. That's like my grandfather gave me a house, and it, by Titus's time, it's in rubble, and I'm having to pay to rebuild the whole thing, except it's not a house. It's the altar of the living God. Uh -huh. Okay, keep going. Who had settled among them, for large numbers had come 
over to him from Israel when they saw the Lord his God was with him. I'm seeing this everywhere at Submission Ministries. Large numbers of people are leaving their Samaritan churches and coming to Submission Ministries. At a rising church, large numbers of people are leaving their closed Samaritan centers of worship and going to the only church that is actually open because they rely on the Lord. It's a really neat thing, and I'm not going to go through the myth of the lost ten tribes again because it's demonstrably false in this passage. It has to be totally false if Ephraim and Manasseh, which are the largest tribes in the north, have come to settle in the southern kingdom. And yet you'll hear it repeated again and again and again because people do not know the word. Instead, I think I'm going to emphasize that when you destroy idolatry, whether that's personally or in your home or you do it as a ministry, you then move into revival and those who want the truth start arriving on your doorstep. You won't have to go trace down the mutant mongrels in every corner of the earth that don't want to walk with God anyway. You'll stop hanging out with Christians that are diseased in their feet and don't want what you have. You won't have time for it because when you get rid of the Samaritan ways in your own land, those who don't want Samaritan ways come and find you and say, teach us to do what God is doing for you. Just like in the book of Acts. Revival is spreading from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And it would have reached the ends of the earth if only they had cultivated it and continued it. We're going to have to remember, don't you think? Yeah. I want you to notice the time of year in these next few verses. I'm going to give you a hint. In the first month of the Jewish year is Pesach, Passover. After the Feast of Pesach are really initiated at the same time as unleavened bread, and then first fruits. Then 50 days after that, it puts us in the third month, there's another feast. What is verse 10, Mr. Linton? They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. At that time, they sacrificed to the Lord 700 head of cattle and 7,000 sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death. That seems harsh. Whether small or great, man or woman. Saints, there are so many good things that we could focus on in this passage. But as my father just mentioned, I want to hone your attention in on the third month. The third month is not just, you know, February, March. This is the day of Pentecost. This is Shavuot. This is the giving of the law coming down from heaven. This is the Spirit of God being poured out upon men. This is that time frame in the year that God marked as an interaction between Him and His people where something was given that changed their way of life and the reality forever. One blessing after another is how the Gospels put it. That we receive something from Moses that blessed us. We receive something from the prophets that have blessed us. And God's very spirit is poured out upon us. Saints, we want to go over with you what this looks like. What happens when a gift from God comes down at Shavuot. When Pentecost happens on earth. We're going to hand out a few passages. Exodus 32, 25-29 is going to be the first one. Daniel Cho. 
Assad, get Acts 2, 1 through 13. Rob, get Acts 2, verse 20. Now, as you're turning to these verses, I want to warn you, do not jump ahead in your thoughts to anything that you heard some old Baptist minister say. Don't jump ahead in your thoughts to what you think these verses have to do with each other because you're wrong. We're going to show you what they actually mean. Get Exodus 32 when you have it. Read it like you're trying to get to Pacific Islands to hear you, Joe. Hallelujah. <laughs> so they saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. I'm sorry. Who let them get out of control? The priest. The priest. God puts this on the priest. It's his job to warn them. It's his job to do anything other than pacify them. It's his job to be a teaching priest. But the people love, even today, I mean, the Talmud is full of passages about why Aaron is to be preferred over Moses. Everyone loves the man who does not actually point out their sin. But that is not at all our point. So, Joe, would you start again? You're going to keep going through 29, Joe. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to them. Come on. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 other people died. How many? 3,000. 3, 3, Keep reading. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. Man, you want to be a priest, huh? It's almost like Jesus saying, Your fathers, I will cause division between mother and daughter. I will cause division in families. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. This is in the third month of the Jewish calendar. This is right after the blessing of the law. This is right after Moses came down with the tablets. And some found themselves in rebellion. And what should have been revival for the entire nation became death to some and life to others. At that very moment, it became death to some and life to others. The Levites, they valued the law. They valued life. They valued revival above the relationships they had with the dead, diseased, and deplorable in character. So the Levites found life and priesthood, but others found death and loss of a calling. You see the same thing in Asa. Man, Asa's doing well at this point, but here comes a prophet, what seems like to be a rebuke, and what does he do? He took courage and went to work. He took courage and went to work while there were those that stayed in their position and did not join them. In these scenarios, you always have some leading to life and some going straight into death because they did not remember what the law said. Let's 
So a couple thousand years of preaching about how the day the law was given, it was death for everybody. And on the day the spirit was given, it was life for everybody. What total poppycock. <laughs> it's always been exactly the same. Revival is life for those who will receive it, and it's death for those who won't. In fact, every instruction of God is that way. Let's look at Acts 2, verses 1 through 13. just to put this in perspective. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Mm, I didn't get that right. 241. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added. Come on. Now let's put this in perspective. A whole nation comes out of Egypt and out of the whole nation we have to kill 3,000 rebels on the day the law is given. Somehow or another the law is bad. Because on the day the Spirit was given, which is an anniversary of, it's the same month, same time, we only had 3,000 that were saved and we had the other 97% lose life, lose calling, lose purpose. Which was the greater revival? Well, which had the greater loss of the carnal? See... On the day the blessing of the Spirit was poured out, it's true, 3,000 people were saved, but many thousands more than that found a loss of their calling and began the road to destruction. All real revival is marked by this kind of delineation, a separation between those who are growing in priesthood, growing in their calling, moving towards life, and those who are declining. In all of the same areas. It really makes no difference whether they call themselves believers or not. In fact, in Exodus, all of them were saved. In fact, when you read Acts 2, it begins with God-fearers from every nation. And yet, in Exodus, 3,000 people had to be killed and many, many hundreds of thousands more didn't. Yeah. Wow. And at, in Acts, only, only... 
3,000 people embraced the truth of the revival, and the vast majority went on a declining road towards hell. And it's been that way for centuries. Church, we need to pay more careful attention to that which causes, somebody say causes, causes. abundant life in the kingdom. We also need a line of delineation between that and what steals your abundant life in the kingdom. If you are going to give yourselves fully to the Lord, not partially, fully, you simply can't afford to compromise with those who aren't committed to the principles that cause life. If you compromise with those that are committed to the principles that are causing their own lives to go to hell in a handbasket, what will happen to yours? It makes no difference whether they say they're Christians or not. Look, Asa understood this. He gave everybody the opportunity to serve the Lord. He spent 10 years in peacetime teaching it. He spent 25 years in wartime teaching it. And those who did not want to serve the Lord, he put them to death. That's what happened. Now, I'm not expecting you to put anybody to death. But you do have some associations that need to die. The Levites, it didn't matter whether they were their fathers, brothers, neighbors. They were more devoted to the Lord and the principles that cause revival in life than they were any other relationship. Amen. It was that simple. Nobody had to tell them to be that way. They simply came to Moses. And it was the result of their devotion Amen. to the Lord. Amen. Let's pick up in verse 14. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All due to I prefer reverence in church. <laughs> Hey, by the way, the trumpets there is another reference to Pentecost. But in any case, we're going to stick to the historical text tonight. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and was found by them. And he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. Let's pause for just a moment here. We have an increase of a covenant. We have God pouring out a blessing upon the people. We have them enforcing a standard that Deuteronomy 13 had already illustrated, whether it's your father, mother, brother, daughter, or son, that this cannot be tolerated. But they're now implementing it. We're going to see some things that begin to result from that kind of commitment, that kind of devotion. Keep reading. King Asa also deposed his grandmother, Maka, from her position as queen mother. But they're related. <laughs> they're related. She's he has to go to Thanksgiving dinner there. <laughs> You know, long before I came, became king, she's always been here. She, oh, yeah. I, what, what, this is her seat. She's the queen mother. Right. Hey, it's just that way when I came into office. We're just being polite. We're showing deference. We're just trying to honor them. Saints, many of you had dramatic experiences in your life, and it's not till the second, third, or fourth revival that you actually start to get family relations right. In the words of an elder that I love deeply and respect, what the hell are you doing here? Every once in a while, you need to actually square up your battle lines. And what do you and I have to do with each other? What do you have to do with peace? What do you have to do with the life and the revival that is brewing inside of my soul? Because I'm fanning it into flame. It's not staying this way. You see, at the end of this revival series, he is finally getting this queen mother that was wicked during the time of his father out of the throne room. Saints. No more enemies. Nothing that we leave is too, too sensitive to touch. 
Keep reading and we're going to learn just a little bit more. By the way, it only took him 35 years of walking in righteousness to figure that out. We're trying to give you a little head start in that. I mean, that's, uh, these are not easy things to do. They're just righteous things to do. And your sweet little heart and a great big stupid head (laughs) says, but where's the compassion in that? Well, be careful you're not more compassionate than God. Remember that Maka and most of the rabble that hangs around some of you, they're not coming to Asa because they want to be like Asa. They're hanging around with Asa hoping that Asa will begin to imitate them. Mm -hmm. If you stand on the high ground, never turn anyone away who is coming because they want the high ground. But don't accept a single person's low level of living by going to pacify them with your friendship in what they're doing that is wrong. The proof of what he just said is after these revivals, Linton's going to read the remainder of just this verse, and you'll see what she does. Because she had made made a repulsive Asherah. That one looked like a little boy part, according to most commentators. All right. Now, we're not getting into everything that we can about this subject, but for your own amusement, you should go read Rashi's commentary on that. (laughs) Saints, she liked her idol. We talked to you about this idol earlier. We talked to you about the goddess Astra, what these groves were. There was a note in Erdemans that we didn't cover earlier that you need to know from a historical perspective. You remember? She was supposed to have fathered the 70 gods or archons, depending how you want to say it. And it was prevalent from Egypt to the south, the Hittites to the north, and all of Arabia to the east. We just covered the entire Aswan map with each of those statements. This is the spirit of the world that is sitting around Israel's promised land. And after witnessing the revival in her son and grandson and seeing what is happening in Israel, she still refuses to follow the Lord and turns back to the powers that have had dominion over the earth since we fell in the garden, since sin entered the creation. This is not just, hey, I, uh, I had a weak moment of weakness. This is witnessing the goodness of God and turning back to an old way of life. Yeah. Hey, keep reading. Asa cut the bowl down and broke it up and <laughs> yeah. burned it in the Kidron Valley. Yes, he did! <laughs> Although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. Amen. There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Listen, saints, we're going to deal with a bad translation quickly. We're just going to do it simply. We're going to do it clearly. Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all the days of his life is not a correct reading. NASB, ESV, Young's Literal... And several other manuscripts that you can look through are all his days, as in all of his days up to this point when we're about to hit a different marker in time. Ezra understands the charter of his life, and he's letting you know where he is at at the end of the second part of his life before we get into things that are coming. Asa's life is not over yet. I really, really wish each of us today that he had died right here and this was the end of his story. Yes. Yes. The reality is that he didn't die. Long life sometimes is not a blessing. The first 10 years were characterized by peace without war and revival and strengthening of Judah. The next 25 years that we just covered 
were characterized by victory in war. They fought, but they won because they depended upon their God. They had revival. Revival that didn't just stay in Jerusalem, didn't stay in uh, Judea. It extended all the way out to Samaritans coming in. That was how this season of his life has just been summed up. The unfortunate reality that we have to grip our own souls with is that there is six more years of his life. Somebody say six. Six. We just covered 35 years, and we're about to get into six years. Brother Linton, let's start reading about these six years. Get verse 1 for us. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. So the battle lines are beginning to be drawn up for these last six years. Revival, victory, and expansion have caused such a migration from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom that Basha, king of Israel, feels compelled to institute a blockade. He's losing. Remember what the northern kingdom did. They set up false centers of worship. They made it look just like what God instituted. They put it in two convenient locations so that they could choose whichever place they wanted to go to. And yet there was something about Asa standing with the Lord. There was something about Asa's revival that they wanted. People of the northern kingdom were flocking down to the southern kingdom so much that the northern kingdom was getting a little bit jealous. And he decided to put a siege around the southern kingdom so that no one else can come in and go out. Man, that does, that's not about most of the pastors you see in today's Christianity, is it? They get offended because they see people coming to a place where there's revival. So what they do is they set up siege tactics. They go to those people and say, hey, that church is a cult. Don't go there. They'll tell you to, to, to speak these harsh words to your family, and they're just going to control you and tell you what to do with your life. That's never happened to you, David Bonham. <laughs> Look, Basha, like his deceased ancestors, was insecure that the kingdom would return to Judah, and he fought to make sure that Israel remained divided. He could contextualize this for you in today's term. We could talk to you about how the fear and insecurity of others always declares war on those experiencing revival. We could also explain why we are often slandered and referred to as a cult, but we have decided to emphasize something else for you. No matter how carnal the circus around you becomes, you must rise above it. It doesn't matter if there is a revival going on and there is all of these voices, all of these Sambalots and Tobias around saying that whatever is happening there is not God, you've got to be careful, brother. Don't get too involved in this church because they're serious about whatever they say. You have to rise above that. Amen. And here it is in the last six years of his life. That means 35 years has passed and this still is an issue for Asa. Think about that. You might have conquered it yesterday. You might have conquered it when you first came to the church. But there is a possibility that those voices could rise again in your life. We have to rise up again and again and remember what the Lord spoke to us when we came. Let's get into verse 2 and we're going to read verse 2 and 3. Asa then took silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and of his own palace and sent it Ben-Hadad, king of you have to wonder whether he emptied the church account and then his account or whether he did it at the same time. I mean, did he just call us accountant? I mean, I don't know. When you get strapped for cash, is the first thing to go your tithe and, and then your 401k? Or 
I don't know. That's a, I, I want to stick to the historical text. Talk about a deal with the devil. You know, there's no, uh, there's no recorded treaty in the word of God between Asa, who is, or Asa's father, Abijah, rather, and Ben-Hadad's father, who is Hadad-Eser. So he says, hey, there's always been this, this treaty between your father and mine. No, actually there wasn't. If you go back a few generations in 2 Samuel 8, David had defeated this entire kingdom. There had never been peace between them. And, and you move forward a little bit more and there's war again between them again. Asa is verbally pandering here. Uncomfortable with the confrontation, insecure because of the idolatry that is beginning to creep into his heart. He's pretending that there's been a standing friendship even though there hasn't. Well, you get born again, you separate from a peer group, then I don't know, you don't know how to fix your car and you remember one of your high school buddies does and it's like, hey, hadn't we always been friends? This is pandering. It's manipulation. And I got to tell you, it doesn't result in very good things. Ironically, claiming friendship with the world, well, it's offensive to God. I mean, I don't know, I discovered this verse written by by one of Jesus' brothers in a secret gospel you can only find on YouTube called the book of James. It says friendship with the world is hatred towards God, warfare. Asa's decline begins by befriending the world in an effort to deal with a carnal threat of Basha. He's concerned that Basha, who is carnal and wants nothing to do with the actual God of Israel, is going to come and hurt him. So he does something that offends God. That's incredible. What if he had stopped? Let me say it a different way. If only he had stopped and repeated the very same prayer he prayed in chapter 14. Come on. Lord, we rely on you. But he couldn't stop and pray that way because he wasn't relying on the Lord. If only he had stopped and remembered The prophecy of chapter 15. I give you a few hints. The Lord is with you when you're with him. Do not give up. You will be rewarded. Maybe like so many stupid charismatics, he thought because it was prophesied, then it was definitely happening. No matter what he did. I think I heard recently you have to fight for your allotment. If only he had remembered the prayer of the prophecy. If only... But he didn't. He didn't remember the things the Lord had told him. He didn't remember the things that the Lord had done for him. It strikes me that the book of Hebrews has a passage that echoes about this. Cody, why don't you read Hebrews 10? Read 32 through 35. While Cody's turning there, incredible sharp contrast. You know, I imagine that over the course of that 25 years after he fought that great battle and he had peace, that his heart began to slowly drift 
to where we get to the place where the next time there's an issue, he's not the same man that he was the last time. You know, you never wake up one day a radically compromised individual no. between Sunday and Monday morning. You let a little bit remain inside of your soul, little ease, little comfort, little frustration or fear maybe. And by the end of the week, you're starting to look like a different person. Things that were not remembered and maintained culminated in the decisions that he makes in chapter 16. Would you like me to lighten up on you a little bit? No. no. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to pick on the pastors a little bit. The pastors that I've known that have not done well in the faith, which is a bunch of them, they did well when they were starting something. They did well when they didn't have a pot to uh, fill. They stopped doing well when they won some battles and felt entitled because they had. They became fond of saying things like, I sold everything and I went to another nation. Well, good for you. That was 20 years ago. They began to be happy for all they had been able to do for the Lord, so happy that they talked about it a lot. Can you kind of get my drift here with Asa? Yeah. I bet he still liked to sit around, drink a little mead, and point back to the days when he faced down those Cushites. I've personally been to the area. I've never seen a Cushite I would be scared of, but I guess there were a million of them. It's like ants, you know. The text indicated that he had put money into the treasury of the Lord. Yeah. Man, I helped build that church. Do you know how much of my own money I put into that? Yeah. Wow. If this weren't so common, yeah. I wouldn't be talking about it. And I'm going to give you a hint. I'm, I'm very direct with you because we're family. I'm equally direct with those that aren't my family. <laughs> I share this with every pastor everywhere that I go because it is almost like watching VH1 and knowing that when the band gets together and they have a talented lead singer and they get their big contract that the band's going to break up. You, you, I know that the most dangerous thing that can happen in our lives is the Lord bless us. Yeah. I know it. I know it because I can look back at the trail of bodies that used to be here and are now destroyed somewhere for no other reason than they got everything they ever asked the Lord for. What we're about to do is read the biblical solution for that problem. And while it is don't give up, there's something that has to come before that. Are you ready? Yeah. Read it, Cody. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Saints, if Asa could remember the time that he trashed, destroyed the idolatry that was in his life when he began, that was in his own house, in his own kingdom, 
Then he marches out boldly to confront the Cushites. Then he prays. You know why that is? It's because he understood his function. He understood it was his job to contend with the enemy, and he was trusting that when he got there and called out to his God, that he would answer him. He wasn't quivering behind temple doors asking the Lord, should I go out and fight? Of course he should have. But here we are, contemplating and debating how we handle this situation instead of remembering the times that in boldness, in a great contest of faith, Hebrew says, he charged into what God had already spoken he was supposed to do. Saints, remember what God has put you on this earth for and don't let it be forgotten. Do not give up those early days of faith when you were willing to sacrifice, when you were willing to fight, when you were willing to move states, when you were willing to pay all. Long before there was a disease in Asa's feet, a disease in his thinking began to grow as God blessed him and he hadn't had to sacrifice in a while. He had a kind of spiritual amnesia. Christians, you and me, the people in this room, we so often forget how we obtain the life that we have. The way of life that we have in the kingdom is something that was fought for. What has been given to you from this house was something that was fought for, that could not be given up, that required the remembrance of early words in a great contest of faith. Saints, every day does not feel like the fulfillment of a prophecy. But when you remember what God has already spoken to you every day that you're moving towards it is fulfillment of prophecy. The biblical idea of a fulfilled prophecy is that it's been set into motion because you're going to complete it. It's expected that we walk it out. Tonight, we want to stir a kind of zeal inside of our souls for what God has given us. To remember and not yield, to not give up. Notice that the backsliding in men's lives and in your own life always starts with little words, areas that you used to be bold about, areas that you used to have a firm conviction about, you start to pacify in your speech. Hadn't we always been friends? I mean, that's literally how this started. Yeah. Hey, it's been five years since we were there for that family event. Why, why can't we just be peaceable? I don't even remember why we were separate for so long. You know, why don't we just share our money? Why don't we, oh, you know, we, we can just take this timeshare. Oh, we can just go on this retreat together. You know, it's so-and-so's 50th, man. Why don't we just go buy dinner together and celebrate as a family for a little while? Saints, the things that you compromise in your speech are compromised because your mind and your thinking has drifted from the early days of your faith when you were willing to fight in a great contest. The good news is that we can wake up that we can shake ourselves now, that we can learn from the object lesson that is Asa's life. Take courage and stand and do not give up. It drifted to money, money that was his. More importantly, money that was God's. He took it right out of the temple treasury that he had placed there by the great contest of faith. He obtained it by God's deliverance and he gave it up trading God's deliverance in the next situation. I promise you the promises that God has given you, when you remember, when you fight, you are able to build something. But the moment that you forget them, you are trading them for trash, trading them for a subtle, sinful deliverance. It's not been that long since we covered First Chronicles. David and his mighty fighting men started with nothing. And they went out into the battlefield and they defeated foreign armies. And then they took the money from those foreign armies And they built the temple with it. And then they continued to go fight with the foreign armies. 
and they had to put a second offering box in the temple <laughs> from their exploits. Those are the offering boxes that are being emptied, and Asa hasn't even stopped to pray about it. They're being emptied because he wants to buy a foreign power's allegiance. <laughs> hey, Brother Linton, help us with our historical context and keep reading through four all the way to six. Then Hadad agreed with King Asa and sent commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel. They conquered Ajon, Dan, Abel Mahim, and the store cities of Naphtali. When Basha heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah and carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had been using. With them, he built up Giba and Mizpah. So unfortunately, this plan worked uh -huh. for Asa. Benadad actually agreed. Well, of course he did, because Asa's going to send him all this kind of money. Then Asa causes Basha to, to stop attacking the southern kingdom. And then Asa actually uses the materials that Basha was going to use to siege his kingdom. He actually uses it for his own purpose. You know, this really is unfortunate. Because this worked for Asa. This actually worked. He totally disregarded what God had told him, and yet it worked. It actually ended up in his favor. You know, in our lives, some of the most dangerous things that can happen Absolutely. is when you can do something against what God clearly told you to do, but it, it actually ends up producing a good result. So you think that it's okay just to take things into your own hands and do it your way anyway. I want to clarify something. The result looks good temporarily. Yeah. It is an eternal embarrassment. Hey, we've got to keep rolling. It's worth contextualizing for just a moment. You felt like the Lord told you to do this, and you didn't do it. But it worked out anyway, so that must have been God's will. You felt like the Lord told you, I'm going to heal this person. Well, it was hard for a few days, and I took medicine and it got better. That must have been the Lord. Saints, we are not people that are opposed to the Lord working in any way that he actually directs you. But he must actually direct you. And the fact that something works out is a dangerous element in our lives. But hey, what mature Christians can do, because we are learning from these kind of lives, what we are practicing in our own life is, man, I'm filled with a greater awe and reverence for the King of Kings who caused it to work out for my benefit anyway. I sinned, and I'm not going to make that mistake again. I see where my error was, and the fact that he allowed me to live makes me love him that much more. I want to be like him, and I'm not going to do that to him next time. All right, so last warning, and then we're moving on in the Scripture. Historical context tonight. If you have you find yourself going, well, I know you're saying that sin, but look, it's worked out pretty well for me. Fall on your face, tear your clothes, break your jarhead covenant over your head, read those names. And go get your rebuke. You, you need that. Every once in a while, somebody falls from an airplane and survives it without a parachute. It's not a recommended practice. It's, it's not an endorsement. The fact that it seems to be working out okay in the short term has caused more people eternal damnation than you can imagine. Let's pick up in verse 7 and read to 9. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and took him. Because you relied on the king of Aram, not the Lord, your God. And the army of the king of Aram had escaped from your land. Now your notice hand. that 
This might have looked good in all the eyes of Judah, all yep. the men of Judah, but it didn't escape the Lord's notice. He saw it, and he sent a prophet to point it out. I, I, I love, and you maybe could underline the word, because you relied. Because that's the very thing that he said when he was facing the Cushites. It's, Lord, I rely on you. See, this is, this is not that he needed a new revelation. It's that he didn't remember a revelation he had 35 years ago. Keep going. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet you relied on the Lord and he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing. And from now on, you will be at war. Man, this is one of the strongest passages in the Bible. The Lord reminds him, were not the Cushites and Libya, Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yeah, they were. He tells them, remember, you survived this vast army when you cried out to me. And now this small army comes, comes before you and you've forgotten the thing that I have told you? The sad thing about this is if you read the king's account, God sends an assassin to kill Basha. If only Asa would have just waited it and relied on the Lord, the Lord already had a plan in effect. He was going to die anyway. Look, it's heavy in here, and it, it should be. How many of you were alive in the 90s? Wow. Have you heard of a guy named Mike Tyson? Yeah. Yes. I remember when, uh, when he fought Evander Holyfield. A few times. I remember once when he bit off Evander Holyfield's ear. And then I remember this shocking event where a guy named James Buster Douglas knocked Mike Tyson out. That's what this is like, is if you had defeated Mike Tyson in his prime because you're relying on the Lord, and then James Buster Douglas beat you up in Japan. I mean, did you ever see that guy a year after the fight? He's 400 pounds. He's a professional donut eater. He never won another fight in his life. When the odds are overwhelming and you have no choice, you do good at relying on the Lord. When it seems like within your grasp, like I, I could work this out, you're in danger of not relying on the Lord. And that, the real problem here is those kind of carnal policies have carnal results. Carnal policy brings on the very evil which it seeks to avoid. If Asa had shown faith as in previous times, he would have saved himself this embarrassment. He could have defeated both Basha and Ben-Hadad. God already had a plan for him. He could have continued the revival. He's about to get a pro prophetic rebuke here. Even in this prophetic rebuke, Asa could still humble himself. There's still hope. He could still humble himself, but it's about to get from bad to worse. He still has a chance right here to repent and do what the law says. Yeah. This would mean that he would experience temporary embarrassment that was outweighed by the light of eternity. Amen. Unfortunately, that is not what happened. You know, like so many who were once soldiers of faith, Asa about, is about to oppress. He's about to oppress the very people he used to bring revival to. Wow. These are the people that experienced the revival by Asa's faith in the Lord. And he's about to begin to oppress them. Uh. Man. Forgetting to rely on the Lord, forgetting what the Lord spoke, ends up oppressing those that you do not want to oppress. This happens when you double down on deceived 
decisions, it always ends in disaster. Now, it looks good for Asa in this situation. And yet, personally, even though the situation has, has gotten good for him, these kings have gone away, he is personally going to fall into decline. And that is the worst kind. We're going to pick up in verse 10 where this text is going to take a tragic turn. It's foreseeable. As soon as you double down on a bad decision, it is going to take a terrible turn. might look good in the short term, but it is eventually going to show up in diseased thinking, diseased feet. I'm struck before we even get there at what was at stake here. What would have happened if he had relied on the Lord and fought Basha? I would imagine that we would be very close to reuniting the kingdom. Yes. I would imagine that what he would hand his son Jehoshaphat would be extraordinary. Now, we're thankful Jehoshaphat's alive right now. He's learning. He's watching. In fact, Jehoshaphat doesn't double down on his bad decisions. He makes some, just like we do. But he cries out to the Lord in the midst of them. In fact, Jehoshaphat learns to pray like his daddy, but repent like his daddy never did. And uh, that's another week's message. But I'm concerned about the generations. And I have this profound sense of loss as we go into verse 10 of what could have been. You don't know what your compromise will cost you in the way of what would have been if you didn't do it. Mm -hmm. You only know what happens to you when you do it. But you don't know what would have happened if you didn't. See, it seems that the prophet is telling him you could have had a serious subject to you. You could have had Basha also subject to you, and now instead they're both going to rule over you. That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty rough. I want you to win. Yeah. You want to win? Yeah. Hey, let's do verse 10. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. Wow, I've never seen that reaction. <laughs> he was so enraged that he put him in prison. Uh-oh. At, at the same time, Asa brutally oppressed the some of the people. Some of the people. Just a few. I really love that church. I mean, that is the best church I was ever part of. Except for the people that remember what was prophesied to me. The people who hold me accountable for the things that I said. Who do you think Asa was oppressing? Those that heard the prophet's words and agreed with him. You can get the majority of the people to do anything. I mean, if you don't believe that, watch the news sometimes. It's, it's ridiculous. We really are like sheep. But there will always be some that actually remember what happened on a given day. Yep. See, Asa relied on the Lord, and there are people that remembered that. Asa was told by a prophet, Azariah, when you're with the Lord, the Lord is with you. I bet the people Asa chose to oppress were the people that sided with the prophets who were in the minority. More pastors get eaten after services than chickens do. It's so easy to side with the majority. The question is, what is God actually saying? And do you really want to oppress those that are speaking for him? Just stand back and look at the work product of someone's life. Just look at it. Do they do what they said God said to do? 
Does God do what they said he would do in their lives? When the answer is no on both accounts, get literally the hell away from them. And start hanging out with people that do what God said to do. And when those people stand up and say, this is what God says, it's proven. It might take a decade, but it's proven out over time. That's who you want to spend. Or you could put them in prison. I couldn't think of another prophet that was treated. Oh, that's right. Jeremiah was put in stocks. Mm -hmm. It's the same word. And I wonder why Jeremiah was put in stocks. He too had an unpopular message to the leadership. Something the people didn't want to hear but needed to hear. He was trying to ward off captivity. In fact, he's the same one that cried his eyes out while other kings were having their eyes put out. Cried his eyes out because he realized that they listened to the wrong priest. You really should know who God put in your life to speak to you truth that you otherwise wouldn't hear. You really, but we're in the historical text tonight. Let's go to verse 11. The events of Esther's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of, of his reign, Esther was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his, in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physician. Somebody say, but... But, but. <laughs> y'all said but in church. <laughs> but only. The problem's not that somebody goes to a doctor. It's really not. I mean, it's not my preference that we run to doctors, but that's because people go to the doctor only. They don't seek help from the Lord. It's a response to a cultural shift where people don't trust the Lord. LCM is not against doctors. In fact, Paul traveled with one. And some of his advice to Timothy was not just pray about it. It was drink some wine, son. Like, good work. (laughs) Yeah, the same people don't think it's wine say, it was medicinal. Medicinal or not, he drank it, okay? The, the, The point here is there's nothing wrong with the physician, Something is wrong when your heart's inclination is to trust in the arm of men rather than God. If you go to physicians, go because God sent you to a physician. But don't go to the physician and then ask God to bless it. I think you probably get me there. Let's keep going. Then in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his fathers. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut, for, cut out for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier, covered with spices and various blended perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. He got a preacher to lie at his wedding like so many others. Funeral. Funeral, sorry. Pretty ending. We have perfume. We have a burial that is literally fit for a king, ignoring that when he died, he had rejected the word of the Lord, had oppressed the sons, he's the shepherd of the nation, that he had cultivated in revival long enough for them to know the difference between righteousness and wickedness and to be able to call it out in him, which should have been a grace. Listen, saints, it's 918. We told you we're going back to our roots, that we wanted to do a historical context. You guys have time just to hear the law as a reminder, as an aid to us to remember just the law, just the law. 
We're only going to do this from the book of Deuteronomy, and we're pretty much done. We're going to have you do it. So Justin's going to hand those out, but real quick, it's, it's, uh, you're going to want to put your hand down because my real quick's different than yours. It's like a day is as a thousand years. <laughs> Texas Minute. I want to give you a real key to discernment, okay? And uh, you hold us accountable to it. Uh, you, you absolutely should. When you're raised in a serious spiritual house and then the sons in that house are calling out to the fathers, that's not what you taught us. And the response of the fathers is to throw the sons out. That's a disease. And it's a disease everywhere. It's happening all around us. It's why there's so many orphan ministries. So many sons were doing, are doing good, and it is the father that veers because of comfort, perceived success, all of those things, and his reaction is to get rid of the sons that are strong enough to know he's not doing well. I've experienced that firsthand. If this house ever does that, you should revolt. You should absolutely revolt. Don't leave, I, I, and it's got nothing to do with retaining you. This is your house. Don't leave. Stand up as one man and confront the leaders. I don't care if that's my generation or it's four generations from now. This is your church. You have the right to do that. Don't write letters. Don't leave quietly in the wind. Fight for what God has given you. But if the fathers are doing what they've always done, and it is you who is seeing something differently that you've never seen before, you need to treat yourself the same way. This is your house, and you need to rebuke, and you need to get your house in order. There is nothing personally that I am more concerned with than living like Asa did. I do not want to get to the last six years of my life and embarrass myself. One of the largest embarrassments a minister can have is when the very people that he was raising up he sees as an enemy because they know what he used to teach and now doesn't. That's going on everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, everywhere. You will not find that in this house, or Amen. I would never say that. Hold us accountable. I fully intend to hold you accountable to the things that you said God said to you. Amen. you know? And sometimes they're stupid things. Somebody recently told me God said he would kill me if. It sat badly with me when they said it, and then... Within two weeks, they did the very thing that they proclaimed God would kill them for. And I'm the one without discernment? Are you kidding me? Listen, we need to open our eyes. God brought us here for a reason. Asa's story came up at this point in our church's history for a reason. The thing we want to focus you in on now are only passages from Deuteronomy. Okay? Because if we took the five books of the Torah, this would be a three-hour meeting. If we took the 39 books of the Tanakh, it would be a three-day meeting. And if we took the entire Bible, Older and Newer Testaments, this would be a three-month meeting. So we just took the book of Deuteronomy, Moses writing it on the last day of his life, and the one thing he wanted his nation to know, you're going to hear in these verses again and again and again. I, I don't know, but I think we picked 12. Thirteen. Thirteen. Bonus. It's a baker's dozen. I need 13 hands because we have 13 scriptures. 
All right, uh, Assad, you get Deuteronomy 4.10. Tisdale, where are you at? Oh. Tisdale, you get Deuteronomy 5.15. Brandon, Deuteronomy 7.18. See, Adam, Deuteronomy 8.2. Rob, Deuteronomy 8.18. Ibrahim, Deuteronomy 9.7. Glenn, Deuteronomy 15.15. Spence, Deuteronomy 16.3. Nick Rosales, Deuteronomy 16.12. Emmy, Deuteronomy 24.9. Abby Vincent, Deuteronomy 24.18. Paul Rosales, Deuteronomy 24.22. And Cho, you get Deuteronomy 32.7. Deuteronomy 4.10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Torah, when he, when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my word, so that so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land, and may teach them to their children. Everybody say, remember. 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 You hear kind of like a Mufasa voice speaking to his son. Remember. Especially you are. Red. <laughs> Look, when we're reading these three chapters, this is an hour and fifty-two minutes. You can kind of read these three chapters and go. Well, of course, Asa. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. But be reminded, this is 41 years in Asa's life. This is a long time. He did well for 35 whole years. And the one thing that he did not do rightly at the very end is remember what God had previously done. Now, I don't know what happened in those 35 years. Maybe he just got tired or maybe he just thought of his previous successes and said, it's okay if I relax a little bit. But he did not remember what the Lord his God told him through the mouth of the prophets. The very first thing that goes out the window when you're tempted in any situation, when there's something creeping into your mind, you can't get it out of your thoughts, you tend to forget what God has spoken. This is why we've given out 13 scriptures that all are going to say, remember, because God is teaching his people. First and foremost, when you get into the land, remember where this all started. Remember where you came from. It'll keep you from getting back into captivity. You sit around eating spiritual Twinkies, little things that taste good and feel good and sound good to your friends. You'll get a disease in your spiritual feet. We need the meat of God's Word. That's what we need. We don't need some Facebook champion, YouTube warrior to come uh, win this for us. That's not how God designed things, especially if they've never had a disciple in their life. Hey, let's do Deuteronomy 5, 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. People that leave and are blessed, they go start churches. They go become healthy parts of other churches. Happens all the time here. We love it. We want it. it it's it's going to happen more and more and more. People that forget how God saved them, what he brought them out of, they also forget the words that he gave them. I remember a couple that was called to be elders that in their first few weeks in our church had dramatic visions that they wrote down. They didn't remember them when they left or they couldn't leave since their entire life's work was to support certain leaders and be a certain kind of voice in their lives. They claim they left because of something that happened in children's church. A lazy, apathetic, lethargic wife 
didn't want to work in children's church. It's funny how you could throw away a whole calling over an hour and 30 minutes in a children's church. Remember what God has said to you. Amen. That's why we have family banners. That's why we have mezuzah statements. And when the lie creeps in, they say, I can do this anywhere. Where did he give it to you? Deuteronomy 7, 18. But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Do not be afraid. Remember. Do not be afraid and remember when you're staring your Basha in the face. When you're staring at the thing that you think you probably have got, it's not a million-man army. You know, I, I, I know how we can settle this. Do not let fear creep into your heart. The same God who delivered you today and yesterday will deliver you six months from now if you are with Him. Who has the next one? Deuteronomy 8.2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert for 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. Man, remember how the Lord your God brought you through in discipleship. Remember how the Lord your God provided for you when you came and heard the good teaching. Remember how the Lord your God was humbling you and testing you and He revealed to you what was in your heart in previous times. Whenever we're about to engage on a path of sin, whenever we're being led by fear, we're facing a situation where we don't know if we have the money to make next month's rent. Remember all the times that He made rent in the past. Amen. Remember all the times that... You went to a pastor and he gave you that encouraging word and he caused you to remember what God previously spoke. He's not going to abandon you. Amen. Who's got Deuteronomy 8, 18? But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. So many of these passages have to do with remember the Lord your God and the ways delivered you in the past when you face a giant problem. That's not the biggest issue that this church faces. The biggest issue that this church faces is remember that it's the Lord your God who's given you the blessings that you have right now. Remember. Deuteronomy 9, 7. Remember this and never forget how you aroused the anger of the Lord your God in the wilderness from the day you left Egypt until you arrived here. You have been rebellious Saints, you would think it would be enough to say remember. But Moses felt the need to say remember this and never forget how you provoked the Lord to anger. Listen, it's worth saying remember and never forget how you have aroused the wrath of God upon your life so that you do not repeat the same mistake three years later. I would like to only put my hand in the blender once if I did it, not repeat the process. Moses is warning so strongly here because we have such a tendency to be like a dog that goes back to its vomit. We just have sometimes a three-day cycle. Some of us are a little more mature, a three-month cycle. Some of it's a three-year cycle. But either way, remember and once is enough when you provoke the wrath of God. Don't test it. Deuteronomy 15.15. Yes and amen. Hey, remember that at one time you were forced into bitter oppression. Remember at one time you had no choice 
but to work for Pharaoh and be a slave to him. And the Lord your God was still big enough to redeem you then. He could still redeem you now. Amen. Find yourself in slavery. Don't forget he's redeemed you then and he can redeem you now. There always is a way to be redeemed. 16.3 You think God wants you to remember? Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to tell you that all seven feasts have a statement like that in them. The feasts are essentially about remembering the promises of God so that you can remain faithful to them. And he thought his people needed seven reminders a year in addition to the weekly Sabbaths, in addition to the monthly festivals, in addition to the Sabbaths of years, in addition to the Sabbaths of weeks of years. He wants us to remember. 1612. This is essentially what we just read. It will suffice the commentary to say your life was awful, it was heinous, and nothing about Egypt was pleasant. Stop reminiscing about those days. Remember what the Lord has done. 24 9. I forgot. What did Miriam do? Hey, this is a big one. Remember what the Lord your God did to those who slandered God's work, God's authority, and the men of God who are speaking for God. God wants you to remember that because if you fall into the same trap, you could become leprous like Miriam was and be cast out of the camp until he brings you back. Deuteronomy 24, 18. Why did he command them to do this? He, he keeps reminding them where they've come from. Because if you were a slave when he bought you, then you will still see yourself with the obedience of a slave and the privileges of a son now that you belong to him. That is, uh, that is key that we remember that. This is what Asa has forgotten. 24, 22. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I Remember that you were a slave before you were born again. And remember that you are a slave every time you make decisions out of your own will and your own carnal nature. He's reminding them rep repetitively because standing in the kingdom, standing where you are now, seated, seated where you are now, you forget the slavery that has bound your life. It's the other half of that card that we should be putting to death every day. 32-7. I didn't catch that. Ask who? Your father. And? Your elders. Huh. That's a strange last word to mention in Deuteronomy. Ask those that have remembered long enough to still be around. Wow. Come on. Come on, church. Who were Asa's elders? Where was Asa's father? Well, daddy's dead. He's gone. Where were the reminders? Well, God sent him prophets, but he didn't remember. Our relationship is such that we're in each other's lives daily for a reason. Amen. So that we remember. Amen. When I sit with some of you, what I remember is what God can do with a life. Amen. And it encourages me. It reminds me of why we do what we do. 
I won't take you through John and Joy's beautiful and sordid history. (laughs) But I'm sitting at lunch with them. And I remember when they had no idea who God was. And when I see what they are now, it makes me eager to find the next set of John and Joy. Of course, they remember what God has done for them. Everything hinges on that. Would you stand to your feet? By the way, ask your father and he will tell you, your elders and they will explain it to you. We've been doing that for weeks. We're explaining it. But only you can do the law. Not observe it, not keep it, not obey it, do it. We have every confidence that you will. Amen. Hear how many times the Lord says, remember? Yes. Yeah. The Lord doesn't just speak common words. He doesn't just speak empty things to us. What the Lord speaks to this body, what the Lord speaks through His written word, what the Lord has taken the time to speak to you personally, He doesn't like it to be forgotten. He doesn't like it to be treated as common because our God is not common. His word is special. And you have been privileged to have His written word. You have been privileged to have Him speak to you personally. I know every person in this room, God has spoken to you personally about what he wants to accomplish in your life. And we should never forget that. We should be reminding ourselves of the very precious things that God took great pains through the blood of his prophets, through the blood of his people, through through the constant effort of our pastors to speak to you. And we should hold that treasured in our lives. Tonight the call is to remember what the Lord has spoken to us. At this place, it seems fairly fitting, considering what we just read. We ask Elder Charlie and Elder Bosch to pray for us as a people. Amen. That our hearts might remember what God has done for us. Amen. Elder John is otherwise occupied this evening, but his beautiful wife will be praying as well. And I imagine that the Spirit's able to move.